do you think fans will love about this new movie? There's a lot of new cool creatures. There's a lot of action. And I think the story is something that we haven't seen in a Star Wars film before. Welcome back to the Substandard. This is Sunny Bunch, not Vic Mattis. Uh, I'm joined today by Jonathan B. Last, and no one else. No one else is coming to save us. Uh, and we're here back from Christmas break. The so Substandard is brought to you by Quip. Substandard is brought the to you by Quip. The new way to brush your teeth. Which is a it's a leave a review. I'm Ron Burgundy. It's a it's a toothbrush of some sort. You know, it helps to have a professional to. Yeah, to make well, the show work know, to, to actually run the show. Yeah, if you have if you have a script that you read every week that you print out and you bring to the to the to the booth, it makes it much easier. Uh, so anyway, uh, how was your how was your break, JBO? It was uh, it was it was macabre, utterly macabre. I'm thrilled to be back. How how about yours? Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was macabre, uh, but it was very busy. It was just very. It was not a very relaxing. What week. did you do? Did you have we to go to Home Depot, just, the just Olive Garden, yeah. Bed Bath and Beyond? Well, if you have, have time, I didn't have enough time for Bed Bath and Beyond. Uh, it was just I had a lot of like extra freelance work that that kind of fell into my lap, and it is. It is not hard work, but it is kind of time consuming. So, did uh, you try doing this work from home where your wife and child? Yeah, were? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I did it. I mean, the work that I got done, you didn't go was, to the office. To all, do it. No, I didn't. I didn't go to the office to do it. I stayed home with my family during the week. That makes it harder. The week I know it makes work. it harder. To it's like adding work. a degree of difficulty. Yeah, tell me about it. So, so anyway, why why didn't you go to the office? This is because uh, I'm not going to abandon my family. And just go to the office to be away from them. What do we that's say comes a, before everything that's else? That's not a thing. That's not a thing I do. Breakfast. You know? I'm a. Thanks, Michael. I one one great gift I got this this uh, this holiday season. Mm-hmm. This for Happy Holidays mm-hmm. uh, was uh, it's a coffee mug with the varieties of Chicken Dance on it from Arrested <coughs> Development. <coughs> it's very funny. It's very funny. It's maybe I'll bring it in one. Who's day. your favorite of the Chicken Dances? Mine is probably Job's. Uh, Job. Yeah, well, Job's is best because it's the most spastic, as with all Job. Things. No, Lindsay's is more spastic because she like waves the no. hand over her head like it's a, a yeah, but, comb on a rooster. But Job is like violently throwing his head forward and like clapping. Yeah, it's. Well, like, I mean, I would say that. But uh, my favorite is probably uh, 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 George's. George Seniors. I, that's a little known one. We don't get to see George. You only see it like once or two because he doesn't. He's like, da, 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 da. if we had the camera in here, you could have seen me. George Senior is pretty Do awesome. Anyway. I mean, he's a terrible human being. Well, he's he, and we are no longer allowed to enjoy. We're, yeah, the every, it's booth all it's all because he once maybe did something terrible yeah, to bad. somebody on a he may set. Have, he may have inappropriately rubbed against an actor while he was acting, which. Uh, from what I can understand, again, I'm not a professional actor, mm. uh, but this has actually never happened before it, we're in, in the history of the stage. Brave new world. Brave uh, new world that we're in. I mean, traditionally, t- tell me if, if you sense that sure. I'm, I'm wrong about this. Traditionally, the most stringent workplace in the world mm. is the theater. Yes, and actors themselves have well, it's this a, but, ramrod sense of propriety. But here's the thing, though: when you're an actor, you don't want to be in touch with your feelings. You you need to close yourself off to the world around right. you. And you, you can't have any spontaneity. No, absolutely not. Not not allowed. Just you got to you got to get you, through that. You read the, the the words on the page, 
Mm. And that's it. Vic, what do you think about this? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, mm. Okay, so anyway, uh, well, let's see. So what? We, the year is over. The 2017. Thank God. Which was actually a pretty good year for me, frankly, if I'm going to be, you know, I know we're supposed to talk about how it was miserable. How was it good for you? I got a lot of new Twitter followers. I got, I made a, I made a lot of money from, from, for instance, doing the weekly substandard every week. It's going to be great if that goes away. Huh, yeah, Vic? me too. Uh, and, God, I'm just raking in the money. You know, this thing. and, uh, well, I, maybe was, I can it was get good for salary. Me. Maybe you could, frankly, mm. probably something worth, worth, worth thinking about. Hey, Steve. Um, uh, so anyway, but it was it was a good year for me. Frankly, I I had a, I don't know what everybody else is complaining about with this end of the world nonsense, chicken it's, little chicken little stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, look, the world didn't end in 2017. A lot of good people died, right? Like the David Bowie. But I'm sorry, I I watched television for five minutes over the weekend, watching some football, and there was a commercial in which I believe Seth Green is impersonating a miniature version of Prince. The Dr. Pepper ad. Is this real? <laughs> is, well, I mean, because I had to it's say, as real soon. as anything else. And the, but the, he, was, he was doing those ads before Prince died. Okay. but And also, I don't think it's necessarily supposed to be Prince. I think it's supposed to be more of a glam rocker. It's Prince. I don't think it's Prince, though. It's It's Prince. I mean, there's Prince, no. Frank, I'm sorry. It's Prince. I know. I know that we have a bunch of real big Prince fans out there, but Prince sounds like so many other people that you couldn't like actually distinctively say that this artist sounds anything like Prince. I mean, he just he's just a guy. So I don't know really what you're. He sounds like any other uh, 1980s kind of makeup glam. False. Ro- like, it's, like it's just like, false. Like it's a, not true. He sounds like a guy from Poison or whatever. Same basic thing, right? No, because Prince has like the high voice and the. Oh, I'm not going to do Vince my Neil Prince. has a high voice, doesn't he? Whatever. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just I was shocked that this was a thing that was on television and that people weren't because Prince was one of the people. Wasn't he taken from us in 2017? Or is that some? Maybe that's David Bowie. I'm thinking of. I think we and Tom well, Petty. I think they both died of. in 2017. They all died. Everybody died in 2017. I I kind of 2017 I, was the Game of Thrones of. <laughs> Of years, there were well. Every year is going to be like this from now on, though. Is the thing because people are getting older. There are more famous people. the The universe of famous people is expanding, and they're just going to get older and die. So, like every day from now on, there's going to be a famous death. Well, have we reached the steady state of fame where we have? Because I believe that there is some outer limit of number the number of people who can who can be famous, legit famous, not like internet famous. And clearly we have been expanding over the last 40 years to fill that because like the, the 1980 number was smaller mm-hmm. than the 2020 number will be. Mm-hmm. But at some point we will hit against that upper boundary of the number of people that can be famous at any one point in time. And at that point, we will no longer feel like we are uh, increasing the number of famous people who die every year because we'll just have the same number of famous people dying every year. Right? Well, I, I don't know that this is right exactly. What what we may see is we'll have more people who are very well known to niche populations die, right? Like the whole thing about fame and art and that sort of thing now is that you just have groups of fans, right? You have right. barely overlapping Venn diagrams. So like when one, or circles in a Venn diagram. So like when one one person in a circle of the Venn diagram dies, it will be a big deal for those people and like kind of news to others. But like- It's so like when the YouTube guy dies. If, if Yeah, so if like when Logan Paul dies, 
when please god will come we on lightning how, I, if logan paul come died, on lightning if logan paul had died like four days ago before everyone got mad at him about the japanese suicide thing it still uh, would have been awesome it would have been but it would but it wouldn't it would it have been a big deal right like would would it no, have counted as a famous person except for all of the people who he's the most he's the no. most famous person among among the under 30 set i i think this is 100 percent false i don't think it's he's the most famous false. person among bots on the internet if there's one thing we have learned it is that numbers like 15 million followers on youtube mm-hmm. are meaningless mm-hmm. because half of everybody on the internet is a bot maybe more than half like this is there's this giant feedback loop you're telling and me when, i don't have 35,000 friends and when the, on twitter when people in the actual famous media like you know when when the people on the today show have to stand up and say oh you out in middle america have never heard of this guy on the internet but mm-hmm. trust us he's super famous no he's not super famous the people who are super famous are the people on the today show hmm. okay there right. anyway, it's a great show this is great really boy this thing is just humming along vic did you mention logan paul <laughs> yeah he's gonna die now all right uh so let's see so 2017 is over we're moving on to 2018 but before we move on to 2018 let's look at 2017 in review oh i thought we were just gonna go back to i thought we were circle gonna... back and drive over last jedi again Oh, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. But first, we need to talk about the box office of the year. It's been a oh. weird year at the box office, right? Bad year. Bad year. Bad year for Hollywood. How has it been, JBL? It's been very bad. Very, very bad out in Hollywood. Mm. This, is, this is So Richard Rushfield uh, launched his fantastic newsletter, The Angler, at the perfect time because he launched it as Hollywood is falling apart. Now, it should be said, Hollywood is always falling apart. Like, this is an industry which is built on calamity, and it always looks like they're heading towards perfect disaster and impending catastrophe, and then somehow everything works out. And how? It's a mystery, mm-hmm. but it always does. This is this is the theater, you know, written very large. But things have gotten really bad in Hollywood, and part of that was the Harvey Weinstein, Pervnado, Me Too stuff. Part of it was Silicon Valley invading Hollywood and companies like Netflix essentially setting themselves up as direct competitors to the studios, but without any of the actual financial constraints that the studios have on themselves. Uh, And part number three was the cratering out of the summer box office. And all of a sudden, Hollywood realized that they, it used to be, this this is Rushfield's point, not mine, it used to be that every year there were one or two movies that bombed inexplicably. And you would look at them. These things cost like 100 or $200 million. And you would say, geez, how, you know, John Carter of Mars, that thing, it, it should have been great. It had, it was Brad Bird. No, Brad Bird didn't direct it. but and, uh, Andrew Bird? No. Who's the? Brad Bird. Was it Brad Bird? Was it Brad Bird? I don't think Andrew Stanton. Andrew Stanton. Andrew Stanton directed it. It's, it's actually a pretty good movie. How? Why could yeah. they not make this thing happen? The problem is this year you had like 10 giant expensive tentpole movies that everybody knew were going to bomb from six months out. And the really bad problem is that when you then telescope out a little bit further and you look at the slate for 2018 summer and summer 2019, it looks like the studios are essentially just pulling back and leaving the space vacant. We had a weekend this August with no major new release for the first time in several years. Uh, There's going to be, I think, a couple of those weekends next summer. Mm -hmm. 
that's the scary stuff. That's the extinction level event stuff where but you wonder but that's is good. the theatrical experience giving way to streaming well, and on your phone in portrait mode and no, all we're, that we're, stuff. We're getting, I think we're getting back to a place where we don't need a new $100 million movie every weekend uh, during the summer and during the rest of the year. I think that's great. I think we need to, we need to have fewer movies that are better, right? The hope is that, that they will also be better. We'll have fewer movies. Okay, well, first of all, I, I reject your premise. Okay. The fact that they are, re- the fact that Hollywood is going to release fewer movies does not mean at all that the movies they release will be better. Okay. It just means they will release fewer Okay. Movies. Well, I mean, that's probably true. The hope, the hope is that with more time and more care given to each of these films, you won't have like a Pirates of the Caribbean movie running on autopilot every Except every that years. Pirates of the Caribbean is one of the movies that succeeded. It did okay. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it, it probably broke even. So here's I mean, what we want, the lesson we would w- want Hollywood to learn, and which they won't, is that instead of plowing three big bets into giant movies that cost $200 million each, you should do one big bet on a movie like that and spread your money around at a bunch of mid-budget stuff mm-hmm. that with those can be your, your horn bets where you're hoping that one of them pays off big. Mm-hmm. Instead of, we'll put $200 million into the film, we'll put another 150 into the marketing, and we will muscle it to a $120 million opening and just claim success and run away. Yeah. I mean, the problem of, with all this discussion, of course, is that the money uh, that gets spent now is not spent on the budget. Like, the problem, the problem with uh, opening a $40 million movie is that you're going to have to spend at least $50 million to advertise it. You'll probably have to spend closer to 60 or $70 million well, to advertise unless it. Unless you cast as your leads people with big Snapchat followings. Well, that's true. And that's and how Twitter. you do it. And Twitter. And, and so if and you could Instagram. get, like, yep. some girl who was on a Survivor for a season as your lead actress... Well, then all of a sudden you just got a built-in. It's audience. always it's always very very funny to read the dead deadline uh, box office recaps because it it the the idea that social media is a huge driver of influence is totally unfalsifiable. Oh wait, you can't do that because like it's like it you, doesn't you work like that. If if you 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 have a movie that opens poorly, but it stars Will Smith, who has thirty million Facebook friends and followers and you're like wow we couldn't believe this movie underperformed look at all these things but then when a movie does very well it's like look at the success that the social media has driven here look at this guy has five million twitter followers so this is why it's doing well it's really it's now correct me if i'm wrong i always thought if you have 10 million twitter followers and tickets are averaging 15 dollars a piece that that means that that actor alone is bringing in at least 150 million dollars in revenue yeah is that not the way it works well i mean probably it's closer to 300 million because i would assume each of those people will see it twice and plus the retweets plus the i mean well again the bot problem right you know a lot of bot retweets fair so tough affair no so this is it is it is but I mean just looking at like some of the the movies I mean just the domestic box office alone this year has been uh a, kind of a disaster in a lot of ways Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell Tell No Tales grossed 172 million at home Kong Skull Island 168 million War for the Planet of the Apes 146 million Transformers the Last Night grossed just 130 million dollars this is a franchise that was doing 300 400 million dollars uh, less than ten years ago, you know. And so, it, the, I I don't I I if I was a if I was a Hollywood executive, I would be uh, I would actually be kind of glad with this because then maybe I would get to make some good movies if we can't make all these sh- shit movies. Well, so here's the question though: Are 
so these movies, we've talked about this on the show before. The, these box office numbers, big movies have become overly dependent on foreign grosses. Now, on the one hand, the foreign money seems easier to get because foreign audiences are not as sophisticated as American viewers are. Sorry. It's just true. Sorry, bro. Science. Wow. Scoreboard. Problematic. Uh and but, but the problem is that you get a smaller cut of every dollar spent yes. overseas. Yes. So are we are, is Hollywood trading smaller pieces of the dollar pie by catering movies for those those people for those audiences that are then simply not going to work for more sophisticated American audiences. Well, you have to you also have to remember that uh, who wants something like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Well, who want a really beautifully crafted movie that takes risks and has something to say mm. about the human condition. Like Thor Ragnarok. Like the like like Beauty and the Beast. Like frankly. Beauty and the Beast, right. Or Wonder Woman. Like Star Wars The Last Jedi. Or it. <laughs> I can we say uh, it is like by far the biggest box office surprise of the year? No. Nope. I would say it Wrong. and Get Out are the Get two. Out. Get well, Out get, is I mean, far and away the biggest surprise. Uh, yes, but I mean every year has a a R-rated horror movie that does in the 150 to 200 million dollar range, right? Like you always have your Conjurings and that sort of film. If I had told you that Get Out was going to gross more than Pirates of the Caribbean or Kong Skull Island or Transformers, yeah, of course you would have said course, to me, "Of course, this I would, is insane." But I would have said the same exact thing about it. Man, I would have thought that it has a better chance to to break out. <sighs> Um, because it's a pre-sold, pre-aware title, people. I mean, there's a cult of this book. It's it's an R-rated uh, horror movie about kids getting murdered uh, that grossed three hundred million dollars based on a thirty-year-old book that is popular-ish. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is. I've read it twice now, actually, and uh, it's it's a fine book. It has like a decent shelf life. Oh, I see what you did there. I've read it, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, but but the point is, um, I I do think I think it is by far and away the biggest surprise of the year. I think I it grossed more than three hundred million dollars. It did. It, I, I, I mean, like I'm simply saying that I think Get Out, which is not just a horror movie, but is a social justice horror movie from uh, a totally unproven director, uh, which became both a critical smash and a commercial smash. Going to get a Best Picture nomination. Uh, might win Best Picture. I have a hard time believing. I mean, the the Academy is younger now, but it's still pretty old. Who do you think? Oh, wait, can man, we? Man, I hope it we, comes down to Wonder Woman versus we, Get Out can we, for can Best we, Picture. I, I was discussing this with John Pod Horitz <laughs> earlier today, and I do think J Pod is convinced that you Dunkirk mean you mean is back on Wednesday. On Wednesday, J Pod is convinced that Dunkirk is the favorite to win both Best Picture and Best Director. And I think it has a much better shot at Best Director than Best Picture because I just don't see the actors who make up the largest section of the voting uh, uh, membership of the Academy going for a movie that has no acting in it. Do you want to talk about this now? Yeah, let's talk about. I, it. Let's we'll, we'll t- we can talk we'll about it more later. When we, we can we can talk about it a little bit more later when we get or uh, further on in the year if we if we're still doing the show. Uh, no, when, no, I mean in this episode, like, I wanted to talk about. Dunkirk. You want to, oh, you want to talk about it a little I, later? We can I talk would, about it a little later. I would say this: I would be shocked if Dunkirk won either Best Picture or Best Director. Okay, why? Shocked. Uh, because it has not done well in the festival circuit so far and the smaller awards things, and because it 
did not break out the way it would have needed to to become a cultural sensation, cultural sensation at the box office, and because it does not fit with any of the moods of Hollywood right now. Right. There is nothing in it about Donald Trump or Me Too or race relations or anything. Mm-hmm. It is just a pure piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, well, you know, we'll just talk about this right now. I I simply reject just out of hand anybody who does not think it was not the best movie of the of the year. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems to me to be the most undeniable statement of the last year, which is Dunkirk was simply the best piece of cinema made. Yeah. Uh, I, this isn't close. There's nothing I, even in the same league. It's not, this is not because I'm a Nolan fanboy. God knows. I mean, I, I, I like Christopher Nolan a lot. I do not love everything he's done. I think Batman Begins is a disappointment. Interstellar does not work for me. I mean, I I am not, hi, John Puthartz. I do not just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, reflexively, you know, bow down mm-hmm. before everything Nolan does. It, this is a titanic piece of filmmaking unlike anything else which showed up on screens this year. Yep. And if what you're doing is judging the best piece of cinema and not the most popular, which which is not what we do. I mean, that, that's yep. not what the Hollywood, yep. what the Oscars are actually about. But if it were about what is the best piece of cinema for the year, then it's not even a discussion. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I tend to agree with this, and it obviously uh, topped my list of the best films of the year. Um, but... I do think I like. I think you could look. Th- I, I don't like saying things like it is obviously, objectively the best film of the year. I mean, I I think there are other movies you could make a case for. Um, but uh, in terms of the like movies that got a big release this year and that were actually seen by people, it is definitely by far and away the best. But. <laughs> So the Academy has traditionally been biased in favor of giant epic movies, and I think that this is entirely correct. A small movie is a different animal than a big movie. Mm -hmm. And when you are looking at what the best picture is in a given year, the Academy has, again, historically been right to reward the things which are big. Uh, Gone with the Wind is a different picture than the Philadelphia story. And in terms of best picture... Is is properly understood as the better best pick. I prefer the Philadelphia story, but it's a small thing. It's more of a movie than a piece of cinema. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I I simply reject out of hand any claim that anything else that came out this year was even in the same league. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vic, what is your best film of the year? I did not see that coming. That's ridiculous. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, do you want to do the Do you want to do the toothbrush ad? Quip. Oh, quip. Quip. Oh, I would love to do that. Let's be honest. You're supposed to brush your teeth for two minutes twice a day. But do you? Whether your answer is yes, no, or maybe, you need quip. The electric toothbrush that looks like it was designed by Apple and cleans like premium electric brushes but without the high price. Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into an ultra-slim design with guiding pulses to simplify better brushing at a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes. Quip comes with a mount that goes right on your mirror, fitting seamlessly into your daily routine. No charger or wires means Quip is compact and light to make brushing twice a day easy at home and on the road. Quip also offers an optional subscription plan delivering new brush heads on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for just $5, including free shipping. 
worldwide. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. I got my Quip, Sonny. I got it a couple weeks ago. I love it. And what I especially like it for me, uh, having used electric toothbrushes for many years now, the big downside for them, for me, besides the expense, was travel. Mm -hmm. So when I was packing up to go somewhere, bringing a travel toothbrush plus the charger is an enormous pain Mm -hmm. in the neck. And the result being that I would never actually do it. And I would just rely on an old tech, standard definition, manual brush. With Quip, (laughs) you just... Throw it in your bag. It's, it's, it's got a battery inside the handle. How you long don't does have the battery to charge last? It. I believe three months. Oh, wow. And so when I went traveling this holiday season, I threw the Quip in my bag. When I come to the office at 4 o'clock in the morning, I throw my Quip into my gym bag. It's insanely portable and convenient. Uh, simply the, the most convenient electric toothbrush I've ever had. Uh so, I would remind people that Quip starts at just $25, and right now, when you go to getquip.com slash substandard to get your first refill pack, you get it free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash substandard, spelled G-E-T-Q-Q. Key? Yeah. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash substandard. Woo! Before we move on to the best and worst of the year, before we before we get on to that, which I know we've we've discussed a little bit here, I wanted I want to I want to close out with a little more box office talk. I know people love that. I know I know that's what everyone Star Wars that everyone that's Star what everyone Wars. are we gonna do let Star me, Wars? Let me let me read. I just want to read. Here's a tale of two movies here. Okay, here's movie A. Movie A is the best grossing film of the year. It's 91% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an A from Cinema Score and four out of five moviegoers definitely recommend from other sites. Movie B, biggest second weekend drop of all time by almost $30 million this drop. 50% fresh from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. 30% off the box office pace of its predecessor in the series. Now, of course, these are both the same movie. These are both The Last Jedi. And my point here is that you could make two radically different, two radically different, but I think both accurate cases for the Last Jedi as a success or as a failure, uh, uh, as as a as a piece of box office business, right? So if you look at the Last Jedi, the second weekend drop was sixty seven point five percent. All right. Uh, down down to 71.6 million. The Batman for Superman had a 69% drop. So you're looking in that that kind of world of really really terrible drops. Uh, if you include if you include all four days of the four day weekend, uh, it still had it still dropped 55% down to 99 million, which is uh, which is uh, almost a third off the pace of the Force Awakens. Second weekend. Uh, competition. Now, one of the things that people said when they looked at The Last Jedi, they said, oh, the competition is much more fierce this year. You know, Force Awakens wasn't really going up against anything. This is nonsense. This is nonsense. The second weekend competition for The Last Jedi grossed $92.8 million combined, uh, and it only had two films in the eight-digit range. Okay, now if you look at The Force Awakens, you got a movie that dropped only 40% in its second weekend, down from uh, $250 million to $150 million. You have... Uh, second weekend competition totaled $123.7 million combined. That's the top 10 films. I'm just talking the top 10 here. You had six other films in the eight digits. 
uh, going up against The Force Awakens in, in its second weekend. Now, part of the problem here is that you're comparing apples and oranges a little bit. The 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 One of the days in The the Last Jedi second weekend was Christmas Eve, so it kind of skewed the numbers a bit, and that, that throws things off. But but still, uh, you know these are these are huge huge numbers. And when you when you when you take that into to account, the Last Jedi's third weekend drop, which you know Wags were touting as oh it's the best, the in the third weekend the last the the Last Jedi dropped just twenty six point six percent to fifty two million, and people said oh well this is the best second to third weekend drop of any movie that has ever grossed over $100 million. You know, this is, this is, and that sounds kind of impressive until you keep in mind the fact that A, the previous weekend's totals had been depressed a bit because you had the, 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 the Christmas Eve day in, in the weekend. And if you look at the rest of the competition uh, that weekend, everything else went up. Six of the 10 films had higher weekends than the weekend before. Uh, of the of the movies that actually dropped weekend to weekend, the Last Jedi dropped the most by far. So I mean, I like if you, you can you can construct arguments. And weekend three way. for Jedi was New Year's weekend. And weekend three for Jedi was New Year's. Right. Week. It was a good Which weekend. New, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a good weekend yeah, for movies. It's a good weekend for movies. Okay. That's why that's right. again why Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle was up forty percent almost weekend to weekend. Uh, the Greatest Showman up seventy six percent weekend to weekend. So you have to keep that that's in mind. That's a Vic movie. That's definitely a Vic movie. That is such a Vic movie. Vic, did you see? The Greatest Showman. Did Gene? Oh, here comes Gene. Gene. Hey. Tweet at, at Victorino Mattis. That was a good bit. Uh, so anyway, so you 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 know you have to keep all of this in mind. The simple fact of the matter is that Last Jedi is about thirty percent off the pace of The Force Awakens. Twenty nine percent off from on a day to day basis. Um, and I think that this 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 suggests a very real softness in fan enjoyment of the film. The the core group that goes over and over and over again to see the film and get its box office numbers up to the in the nine hundred one billion dollar range domestically, which is what The Force Awakens does, I, I have a hard time believing that uh, that this gets to seven hundred million and it mm, it's gonna be it's gonna be close. So here's uh, that is a possible explanation. But allow me to proffer an alternate explanation. Go ahead. And I assume that Disney has a lot of data on this that they would never share with anybody. But is the question that uh, that the softness is in your hardcore fans or is the softness in the casual fans not showing up in the first place? Uh, I I would argue to you that The Force Awakens is not something that is duplicable because it is like the first issue of a new comic book. Mm -hmm. It has been gone for 15 years, right? We had not had a new Star Wars movie in almost a generation. It was out of the hands of Lucas for the first time. It was brought in the first new movie from Disney. It was like having a brand new Star Wars. And Disney can't ever do that again. You only get a a first issue once unless you reboot your series every 12 months, like all the comic book manufacturers now do. Um, so this was bound to be lower. Now, you know that and I, I think, hate this movie. Right, right. Well, but I, I just, actually think it's it's a titanic success. And if I were Disney, well, I would look at this and say, we can throw dog shit out there. People will just go. Mm. Here's So I, 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 I think part of this is right. I do think that there was always going to be a lower 
uh, initial interest in it. And I think that's reflected in the opening weekend gross, which is about 10% lower. And I think if you look at if you look at a series and you get a ten percent drop on the on the on the second entry in it, you're pretty happy with it. Thirty percent drop, that's a lot. Yeah, but it, again, it's that very number soft. One, it's but, not holding but higher as well. than Rogue One. So this is the other piece well, of the puzzle. If so, we need essentially five data points. We now have three of them. What we need are we need three franchise data points so three star wars saga data points to understand where they are because you have to throw out the first one because the first one is a high that you'll never get to that's like throwing out the the high judge score and you can't tell what the first and the second differential really is because of that artificial height until you then get that third one and you need a second star wars story data point to understand is the softness that you see in Rogue One something that is unique to Rogue One or are the Star Wars story movies going to simply perform like a different class of the franchise? Yeah. I I have always assumed that that's what Disney assumed would happen, that the Star Wars story movies are going to be softer just because they're not part of the main saga, that, you're, that you really are appealing to like the core fan base here. You were like, hey, you want to see how they got the plans for the Death Star? I got a movie for you. Hey, you want to see how Han Solo met up with Chewie? I got a movie for you. And I think that those movies are... But, I mean, the other thing we have to consider here is that each of these films has been the highest grossing film of its year by an enormous margin. Right. By an enormous margin. Uh, and I, I, you know, again, this movie will gross... Let's say Last Jedi finishes in the 650 to $700 million range. That puts it in the top five grossing mo- movies of all time domestically. It's going to yeah. be... No, there's no way be, to see like, it as anything but a giant success. I, but I just don't... I don't think that... Which is unbelievably depressing. Well, no, I mean, look, I don't, I don't think that that's... I don't think that that's true. If you have a movie that grossed $2 billion worldwide and then you come back and the next one grosses $1.3 billion worldwide... Your expectations are higher than 1.3 billion. I like you. You can say that on a. It, it will certainly make an enormous raft of money for uh, Bob Iger and everybody else at Disney. Like they can, you know, they can they can make it rain on an entire nation of strippers with that sort of cash. Not anymore. The pure success of this film was never in doubt. It was always going to make money, and it was always going to make a lot of money. The relative success of it has to be disappointing. Un- unclear. Uh, for my perspective, I would think that this would tell them they can make a movie that stinks and not worry about the bottom dropping out of it. I mean, what I think is the most interesting question in all of Hollywood economics is whether or not it is possible at some point for a Star Wars movie to fail. Because this is the only the only franchise in the history of film that bats a thousand. There is no Star Wars failure there is no star wars that is disappointed even mm. no matter how bad they are or how good they are they always make an unbelievable amount of money mm-hmm. and is that for forever maybe it is i mean maybe star wars just represents something special and different that makes it different from marvel comic books or transformers or indiana jones or anything like that i don't know or is it is the culture moving so fast and fragmenting to such a degree that even Star Wars at some point will become not a, a certainly a very good bet, but still a gamble of some sort? Uh, can I say that I think that Disney is making a giant mistake by releasing the solo movie in May? 
The next, the next, so the next movie will come in less than six, about six months after the previous one, and then there will be an eighteen-month gap. And I think that vacating that December space, where you have no real competition for like the big budget franchise action dollars, is a mistake. Maybe I think it's probably an experiment, and it's probably done well, to protect. And Rogue, episode nine. Rogue One was also meant to be a summer release, if I remember correctly, and they ended up having to push it back to December right. with reshoots and stuff. So, but I, I mean, my guess is they wanted to. This is being done to sacrifice sol- whatever marginal dollars you would get for Solo in an effort to make Episode Nine more scarce and drive up demand for that, because they figure that that's the bet. That's the better bet. That's the their chance to make bigger piles of money. Yeah, but I'm just, what do I know? I'm, I'm just I, sad I that think we're not going to have yeah. Star Wars Christmas this year. I think it's going to be great because <laughs> if Solo suffers because of this, we're going to see a bunch of thumb-sucking pieces from the Mary Sue and Double X saying that, oh, yeah, see, this is what happens when you focus a movie on a white male. Yeah, audiences just don't turn out for that Audiences sort of don't want that anymore. And why is it that we still have to have this Han Solo character be a cis white male? Mm, makes you think, doesn't it? Danger. Boom. All right. Uh, so let's uh, move on three to the best. Best. Th- are we doing three best? We're doing three best? However okay. many. I only have two. Okay. Well, if you would just want to do two best, go ahead. So do you, if it, you've already done this, but maybe you haven't done this. If I was going to ask you to guess out of the top 20 grossing movies last year, how many were not IP plays? Of the top 20, how many were not IP plays? Uh, off the top of my head. You can just guess. I'm not. There's no penalty for getting it wrong. You don't have to count through trying, the box I'm, off. I would, I would say it's like four. Three. So it's Dunkirk, Get Out. What's the Coco? third? Coco. That's really something. Uh, well, there's in, none in the top 10. In a way, it makes Dunkirk's number 12, I think. Number, yeah. yeah, Dunkirk is 12 on the list. Um, and by the way, 12 by a lot. Like, the drop-off from 11 to 12 is close to $40 million. It makes that even more impressive that a movie that, I mean, you just can't get traction anymore as an original movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes that performance even more impressive rather than I know a lot of people are like oh look Dunkirk only made you know not even 200 million dollars I turn that around and say actually Dunkirk was able to go out and get almost 200 million dollars by doing something original and new and different and you know suck it yeah Uh, Dunkirk is the best movie of 2017 it's not close there is nothing that even makes the list at number two Uh, and the I I used to see 100 movies a year I have not had that luxury since my children were born, mm-hmm. but I saw more movies this year than I have in the last decade. What do you, how many did you see this year? Like forty, probably. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I am ordinarily very sensitive to you know. Well, hey, if you haven't seen every movie, how can you really know? Yeah, yeah. It's a, no, I'm sure that there are a bunch of small, wonderful movies that are really tremendous and really gems. Yeah. But they are different than what Dunkirk is. Yeah. Dunkirk is a piece of pure cinema, and if you care about cinema and not just content that you can watch on your phone in portrait mode, then this is the kind of movie that you simply have to support and have to love. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Question. Yeah. If you were to watch 
Dunkirk on your phone in portrait mode. Which I'm going to do at some point. Which we have to do. We should do a live. Facebook live, live of Dunkirk in portrait live mode. Of, yes. We'd probably run into some sort of weird. They, well, we would just have to tape us, tape our faces, because we couldn't actually tape the movie. Second phone. Be, no, second phone. We just have a second phone. No, no, I'm saying, but we couldn't like show the movie on Facebook Live. That's probably some sort of. Well, copyright. if it's like far away right. and we're sitting there, I think. It, I mean, look, it'll Not, be small the enough. The quality will be so it'll high, be small though. Small enough, nobody could even. Tell. The quality will be so high. Uh yeah. So wait. So you have no nothing at number two. You're not. You're not going to pick a number two. The the closest thing I I could put in it is Blade Runner, which is a heck of a movie. Yeah. A wonderful movie. And even as ambitious a movie as that is, and that is a movie with ambition to spare that looks like a million bucks that takes advantage of every single square inch of the screen. Uh, it's a different animal than what Dunkirk is. Yeah. Yeah. My number one and two are the same. Number one is Dunkirk. Uh, it's the best movie of the year, and I don't think anything else is particularly close. And number two was Blade Runner 2049, which I loved a lot, and I know uh, which was just a disaster at the box office. We're not seeing any more Blade Runner movies, I can tell you that. Uh, which is too bad, because it it's pretty good. Um, and I, I hope... The, the one problem with Blade Runner is that it took one of the few uh, new directors who was making actual original films, Denis Villeneuve, and put him in uh, this kind of weird blockbuster mode that he is obviously very good at. He made a he made a fantastic movie, but like I would rather see another Prisoners or Arrival or something like that than than him. I making... did not see Arrival, but isn't this similar in scope ish to Arrival or no? No, Arrival's much Same more like Arri- Arrival's much more like Contact. But it's, Contact's a big movie. I mean, Contact is a, is a huge movie. Contact's a big movie, but it's also it's it's a big movie, but it's also a personal movie and kind of restrained. It's, yeah. it's small in scope. Yeah, fair. Um, uh, and Blade Runner is a big sprawling movie. It's a very very different sort of thing. I think uh, it just shows me that he can he has those muscles. He oh, yeah. can do that. I mean, like, he is not like you know Rain, like, Rain Johnson, wow. who got caught out of his again. Who made who wonderful made, filmmaker has made a bunch of has made a few very, very good movies who strikes me as simply of being out of his depth. Did we talk about Looper? Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't. I, I like Looper a ton. We should talk about Looper at some point. Looper's I have a good movie. I, have Bra- I like Looper. Brick a lot. Uh, okay, so uh, I, because we have the same top two, I'm going to just share a couple of these smaller, littler movies that, that people may not have seen. Bad Mom's Christmas. Bad Mom's Christmas number six. I was that's I was only going to go number five. Number five. Now. No. So did just miss the list. Just miss the list. Okay. Just miss the list. Uh, number five, I would put Wind River, uh, which I liked a great deal. People love it. I liked a great deal. Uh, it's from the guy who wrote Hell or High Water. It's his directorial debut, kind of. He made a small film a long time ago that's apparently pretty bad. But uh, Wind River, uh, it's kind of like a feature length CSI episode, but better than that, you'll you'll like it. Uh, number four is a movie called Wonderstruck, which is coming. It's It'll be on Amazon Prime soon, and I highly recommend you check it out. Um, it's by Todd Haynes, who I don't really like very much. He's still actually. making movies? Still making movies somehow. I don't, the, the, Carol made me want to light myself on fire uh, and uh, whatever. Uh, it's an electric filmmaker. Wonderstruck, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. And JBL, I think you might like it a lot. I think you should you should watch it. Uh, but it's back in my indie days. I like Todd Haynes. You would, you would, you would maybe uh, the, his I his the favorite thing that he has done as far as I, my my favorite thing of his is uh, Karen Carpenter, 
uh, the Karen Carpenter movie that he that he did with the Barbie dolls playing Karen Carpenter. Very, I never saw. Very that. weird and indie and kind of Andy War- Warholish. Uh, and number three, I really love the Florida Project, which is about sadness and poverty and life on the edge, and about how uh, we can't really help these people. So uh, anyway, you're, you you these are your three uh, kind of indie smallish recommendations from Sunny, in addition to the two big giant movies. The only great movies. Uh, so here's, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Because I, I don't want to get into a worst movie. I don't really like doing worst movies. I don't like doing that yeah. either. That's not true. I like doing it. But it's, I don't think there's any reason for yeah. this. But I have a question for you. Okay. And this is not meant to be a snarky fanboy question. Sure. But a serious one. What do you think was a worse movie the Last Jedi or Justice League. Because of all the movies we saw this summer, the summer, this year, the two which I found the most inexplicable as simple matters of corporate corporate work uh, and married to artists, you know, mm-hmm. you have these the demands of commerce, the demands of artistry, and sometimes they coincide and sometimes they are intention. But in these movies... The demands of the marketplace were not intention at all with what was going on artistically. Mm-hmm. What was going on artistically was simply, I found, unfathomable. Mm-hmm. I mean, movies that were so ineptly made that they, it didn't even look like you could blame the suits for it. Yeah. Thoughts? <sighs> I mean, am I am I wrong in saying that these are two movies that just failed no. at even the most no, basic I, I think you're wrong. I think levels. you're wrong a little bit. I mean, I, I do think Last Jedi is better than that. I think Last Jedi is better than that. Better I than Justice League. Yeah, oh yeah, Justice League is a mess on every level. I mean, it just, I mean, it. one thing you can say about The Last Jedi is that it doesn't look cheap like Justice League yeah, did. Yeah, fair. I mean, it look, everything, everything that you see, even the terrible casino destruction sequence like you can be like, okay, that's at least a reasonably well done, but it's there's nothing to compare to the awful Russia village fair thing fair in Justice League. Nothing like that at all. Um, on a technical, just on the technical just on the merits, technical level, on the looks, technical it merits, looks so Last much Jedi better. Is, is better. It looks so much better. Uh, and I would say also on the story, it, it's a better piece of storytelling in its own way. I mean, again, I don't, I don't really like. I mean, obviously, all of the Rose and Finn stuff should have been put on the cutting room floor and then the floor should have been doused in gasoline and they should have burned the floor and nobody should ever have seen that footage and Finn should have just woken up like two thirds of the way through the movie been like alright let's go to that ship let's go over there and shut off this thing uh, but I did also really like the Luke and Kylo Ray stuff I thought that was good and interesting and well done within the universe of the, <laughs> the third. I mean like the, this What what is more interesting about all this is that uh, Ryan Rian Johnson, whatever his name is, he he clearly, he very clearly set out to uh, trash everything that J.J. Abrams did before him. I mean, that is what is more interesting to me about this: is that every choice he made was a was a decision to jettison something from the first film. And I should be series. clear: I do not object to that at all. Mm-hmm. My, I, um, but my, from a, from my, a piece my of complaints corporate... about the Last Jedi are not fanboy complaints. Mm. It is not. Oh, you can't do that in a Star Wars right. movie. I, I'm not saying you're raping my childhood. No, 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 no. If I, he wants I agree to with burn that. the concept yeah. of the Jedi to the ground, totally. Great. Right. Obviously, we're good with that. Burn the. <laughs> 
I mean, obviously, we're we're very we're. But I'm being serious here. Like, I think that we are actually. This is the thing that I find most aggravating about some of the kind of left wing film critics who are saying like, oh well, of course the conservative critics like Ross and Sonny and and J Pod didn't like it because because of Trump, and you know it reminds them of this Trump presidency. It's like. Well, first off, like we're actually pretty okay with this whole burn down the Jedi stuff. Like all the fanboy things that people are complaining about, that's not what we're complaining about. We're complaining about little things like story structure. And yeah, yeah. and like and it and the fact that you can't the fact that they can't see that and they kind of put this whole political loss on it is like a whole different issue that drives me up the wall. Anyway, uh, uh, but I, I would say Last Jedi is much more competently made than Justice League. Okay. Like I would say much, much more. Okay. I don't well, think it's particularly close. Fair enough. There we go. Well, that's fifty minutes. <sighs> well, I guess it's I, an episode. We don't even have a spirit of the week this week because I'm not gonna I don't want to drink alone, like some sort of sad so, rummy. Like a you know. voxer. Uh so I would say in lieu of normally this is the part where Vic comes on and says you should if you like the show, go to iTunes, leave her don't do that. If you hated this episode, which you should this is a horrible episode. Bad episode. Uh, you should try to ensure that this doesn't ever happen again. Just send Vic a nice little tweet. Send Vic a tweet. Send him an email. Go, go to at Victorino Mattis on Twitter. Go to his Facebook. Hey, will you vamp while I find Vic's Facebook address? Da, 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 da. I'm doing jazz fingers over here. Oh, wait. We're not on camera. Uh, so, yeah, you got you to gotta bother Vic. He is V. Oh, no. Actually, That's I don't a different think, person. We, we probably shouldn't tell. We That's probably a different person yeah, we probably on Facebook. Who the, the, wow. We, just send him a tweet. Twitter Whatever. is Twitter is the preferred way of contacting tweet civilized Victorino humans. Tweet uh, And tell him how integral he is to this show, because the truth is the show doesn't work without him. Does not. Right? Does not work As the last him. 50 minutes show. No. It's boring. Yeah. Just boring box doesn't office work. talk. And no, then, no humor. And then if you take the graph and the square root yeah. of the DXDT from the Rogue yeah. One's third weekend on Tuesday, it's... So, so if you want another episode of the show, the only way you're getting one is if Vic comes back, uh, just as a heads up. All right. Until next time, I'm Sonny Bunch. And there's JVL over there. Now you do the thing. So do we have any outtakes? Uh, no, I don't have any outtakes. Do you have any outtakes? Uh, I, 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 I don't really accept to say that. Vic, do you have any outtakes? Yeah. You know, so what I kind of wanted to do, but I'm glad we didn't, was a look ahead to 2018. Because I, in the same way that we said that, you know, that I said you could see a bunch of these disasters happening from a mile away. There are two disasters coming right now. Do you know what they are? Ready Player One, mm. which is going to bomb and a wrinkle in time. Oh, that is a very, very problematic thing to say. These a wrinkle movies, in time? Oh these my God. have had enormous <coughs> mon- money being spent on them from big pre-existing IP properties. And I am not speaking about whether or not the films are any good, but I will talk about how they're being packaged and how they're being sold. And I am telling you now, hear me now, listen to me later. These movies are going to just fail 
utterly at the box office. Uh, and you simply cannot power a move, a big budget tentpole flick on Gen X nostalgia uh, on the one hand. And if you dress uh, Oprah Winfrey up like she's Liberace on, on the other hand, that that's not box, box office gold. I'm sorry. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs>